the scramble for the Republican nomination for president is wide open, and Ed Martin will have a front-row seat of the proceedings. The president of the Eagle Forum joins us on another edition of Politically Speaking. Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Uh, I think that is fair As to I say. say hands to kiss and babies to shake. <laughs> but, uh, no, I think my record speaks for itself. That's a really good question. Hello and welcome to the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in St. Louis is... Colleague Joe Manis. And my former neighbor in St. Louis Hills... Ed Martin. Sad that it's a former neighbor because I think we had a really good thing going we on We did. Twitter. I would see you. I, I, I wish I had taken photographs of you walking and running or whatever you were doing. I think he only saw you a couple of times. Oh, I watched one... you a lot more than that. I oh. Follow, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think... Stalking. That's how Southside is. That's how St. Louis Hills is. Well, I ran by you once while running with my <laughs> wife and I. you said you waved and I tried to take my earphones off, but I had already run by you uh, and you were trying to get as far away I thought from me you as flipped, possible. I thought you gave me a, a you know, flip me no. off. No. Like we love her. We are very neighborly in St. Louis Hills. I mean, me, you, Mariana Favaza, Donna Berenger, uh, the Kratkies. We're all just Scott Leindecker. Scott Leindecker's right there. But um, you have uh, absconded to the county. So we can no longer uh, keep that running gag going. But welcome to the show, first of all. We're, we're thrilled to have you. Glad to be with you. Um, before we get into presidential politics, we're, we're kind of shifting yes. gears to presidential yes. politics. Yes. For people, the the six people in Missouri politics who don't know who Ed Martin is, tell <laughs> okay. us a little bit about yourself. Well, as we were talking off the air, I grew up in a little town in New Jersey, and I came to St. Louis in 1995 to go to St. Louis University's Graduate School in Healthcare Ethics. Mm-hmm. There was a famous pre Father Kevin O'Rourke, yes, who passed yes. away about a year and a half or two years ago, great guy, who recruited me to come, and I went to law school at the same time. And so that was how I got here. And then uh, over these, I don't know, almost 20 years now, I've been involved, I'm a lawyer, been in private practice with Didn't a big work, law firm. You worked with the archdiocese for after a while. after law school. I worked for the archbishop, archbishop, then archbishop Regali. You know the the thing that really transformed for me, and I often tell the story. In fact, I was with Pat McGonigal of KSDK on uh, on Saturday. Our kids play uh, soccer together, mm-hmm. and he was saying that uh, he grew up in Massachusetts. We're talking about being from not from St. Louis, but if you're a kind of a Catholic kid of a certain era, and probably a Catholic male. St. Louis, it, you look like you fit in. People sort of go, they say, what high school did you go to? And you say, dismet, and then they walk away, right? <laughs> well, or, you know, what, what, what high school did you go to? Because Joe was about to ask that Yeah, I, I went to dismet. No, I went no, to uh, I went no, to a Jesuit I went to a Jesuit high school that's just like SLU High in Dismet. It's called St. Peter's Prep in Jersey yes, City, New Jersey. Did right. you go to high school with Jeff Mazur by any no, chance? No, I, I didn't. I never said, but I recognized the type, a yes. Jersey guy. He's also from New Jersey. There's there's a there's a there's a bumper crop of surly New Jerseyans in Missouri politics. In both sides. I was yeah, I don't know about the surly part, but we had to get out of New Jersey. I think yes, that yes. was the that was at least what I was doing. Okay, so you've run for office several times. You have... almost made it to Congress. Almost. Almost. And I think we got to step back a little bit because you did lose by two percentage points, but that was like a sixty percent Democratic district, and the fact that you came close was an achievement in and of itself. Yeah, I'll I tell quick, two quick stories about that, two related stories. Down the stretch, Boehner came in and did an event for me. Now, yeah, I had, now this is 2010 for 2010, our yeah, so I had not been on anybody's radar. Well, I, that's not fair. I had been on the, I was sort of the last guy that would come across the line, and they realized the wave was that big. And this and, was the huge Tea Party yeah. thing, where I'd covered a couple of the debates and yep. the crowds of con- Tea Party activists in the audience were huge. Right, and we, you know, we were just talking off uh, before we got on the podcast. 
podcast about Jefferson County and South Correct. St. Louis County. There's a there's a sort of populist uh, set of voters there that had they voted for Perot heavily in '92. They vote they were Gephardt voters because they considered Gephardt more conservative Democrat, even though his national record was different. So anyway, the wave's going. Boehner comes out and does a fundraiser, huge crowd, raised a bunch of money. As, as we're leaving, he says to me something like. Uh, a little bit more graphic than this. He says, Martin, you better win. And I said, well, that's the plan, sir. And he said, that's good because I need to get some Tea Party people up there that are not totally crazy, <laughs> something like that. Now, I don't know whether that was a true statement or not, but the second one is Danforth did an event for me down the stretch. Yeah, yeah I remember that. And on the way into the event, he said, the last couple of days, I guess, and he said, you know, Martin, you might win. And I said, yeah, that's the point. And he said, I think that'd be front page of the New York Times. You know, in other words, the la- if you win Gephardt's district against a Carnahan, you've you've really sort of that so, would have been the story. But even though that you lost, yes. I think that there was a couple of significant things that happened. Some attribute your your large margin of victory in Jefferson County with pulling some state reps to the Republican side. It was probably enough to override the redistricting map in 2011, which now means that you have what. Five, six safe Republican districts and two it's, safe and, Democratic and Jefferson districts. County, and that that was not the case before 2010. Well, because, I, because if you had run in the same district in 2014, I mean, Jefferson County has gone so far to the Republican side comparably to 2008 and 2010. You might have ended up winning that seat at this point, but you know yeah, it, it wasn't I, quite there in 2010. No, I think that we were down there getting votes from people who were Democrats who were telling us they were Democrats, and they were, not, and now they've come across. I mean, again, another story on that is in 2009 when I got in the race, uh, some one of Roy Blunt's people, he was on the ballot for Senate at the yes. time, came and said, "We don't want you to run. You know, you, we don't need to agitate the Democrats in Gephardt's district to get the, the vote out." And I said, "Well, let's sit tight and see how we do." And then by the end. You know, Roy Blunt is standing shoulder to shoulder with me because this we had sort of put together this popular the Tea Party folks in the South Jefferson County. But you're right; I don't know whether it's attributed to our race that we flipped Jefferson County. But and get and by the way, uh, Nixon flipped it back, of course. I yeah. mean, he didn't. So it's not like it's over and done. But it's certainly the folks down there. But you know, I made more hay when I'll tell you just again. I said we bailed out Chrysler. And then they closed the Chrysler plant right. six weeks later. In Jefferson County, if you worked for Chrysler or knew somebody did, you were just hot. Yeah. And I used to actually say, if Dick Gephardt were still here, he would never let that happen, which but, was really true. Which but, actually is true. <laughs> it's true. That's true. But then two years later, you ran against Chris Coster. Not yeah, that as, didn't, didn't not, go so well. Didn't go as well as 2010. <laughs> you lost by a large margin. I talked to you about this, I guess, in 2014, but what did you learn from, you know, losing that type of contest by well, a, a larger Of course, margin? there was a different wave going on. There, yeah. there was a different wave. It, you're the running against an incumbent. Aiken thing trickled Chris down. Coster can raise a bajillion dollars. You know, he's he's still, he has sort of a crossover appeal. Oh, yeah, and you all, know. That, all that's true. Um, You know, just to, to comment on, on my current position, I, I'm at Eagle Forum with Phyllis Schlafly. Right. Phyllis lost twice for Congress at the time, yes. but she, in 1952 and 1970. And she will tell you that losing was the best thing in the sense that you learn how the system works. And you really understand candidates. You understand politics differently. So in 10, I think I, even though I lost, I think I succeeded sort of all the way to the end. In 12, it was a much harder slog. And you learn a lot more about sort of how the system works and what the tensions are and how it... So. You know, ultimately, I think, though, I will say it's um, it, even though Missouri is probably not in play for the presidential, it, as you just alluded to, there's a lot of play. There's a lot of give in Missouri between the parties. In other words, people will go back and forth more to the or at least they'll go to the Democrat side if they're conservative. If they see somebody that they think looks like it fits the part. So, now, my theory, I've had this 
for several years is that I think uh, Republicans sort of shot themselves in the foot, so to speak, when they got rid of straight ticket voting um, after the t- 2004 election because they there was a big concern about Dooley and the fact that St. Louis County, that they were contending that, that people were voting for somebody and it was helping all these uh, Democratic state rep candidates and all this and that. So after you got straight ticket voting and people could switch back and forth, I mean, there have been some projections that in 2012, you, you may have lost anyway. Right. But the point right. being that there was such a huge switch of about 150,000 voters who voted for Romney and who voted for McCaskill over the well, whole there was a, Todd Akin. there was a variable there. Like, Todd Akin's no, no, but campaign I, but no, imploded. No, no, no. But my point being, if there had been straight ticket voting, there's a belief that probably a sizable chunk of them would have voted for Romney, left, and just not, you know, and, and even though hit it would the have, R, hit the R, you mean? Don't yeah, and hit, hit the, the R. R. It would have been an automatic vote for Aiken, even if they didn't like what he said. But because people have to go through and singularly vote for each race, that there has been a theory that that really helped um, Democrats because people then switched uh, to McCaskill after Romney. Then they generally voted Democratic, not totally. All the way down, or they just didn't vote at all, and so there were lost votes. You, yeah. you have that lost. I, 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 I'm I, interesting I, yeah. as a former Democratic, I mean Republican Party chairman. Your thought about that? Well, I, as I was also, I think at the either at the election board in the city right after that, or Correct. right around the time. Yes, you were. Um, and so I, I have, and I was a city resident at the time too. And um, so I, I know enough of you asked about what you learn campaigns. I'm not the expert on. How you break out the votes? There's okay. things that I have to have people do and help me do, and I just, so. But my intuitive response and what I see is any, the party in power with the most sort of oomph is going to love straight ticket voting. But when we got rid of it in '04, we were really excited because you could you could break some of these Gephardt Democrats who were going to go in and hit D Union Democrats, and you could hope that you could swing them into some of these other candidates. Now I'm not saying that worked well or not, but we we were happy to get rid of straight ticket voting. And I, I but now can you change it? Now it's a little bit like people say. Uh, you know, I think it was John Ashcroft told me that the August primary was the greatest thing when you're in power, right? Yeah. Because there's no time for somebody to turn around. But if you're not in power, you're 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 right, and you want to move it back to June. Well, move it back to June until we get a Republican governor, and then he's going to wish it was August. So, so I don't know. You know, these things are always kind so of so. You ran for a federal office. You ran for a state office. You were chief of staff during a turbulent time, and you were also Missouri Republican Party chairman. Well, I should, be did you get, should I retire? Should I retire or what? Did you? There's now, no pension. Now, I don't have a pension. That's now, the problem. And now you're the president of Eagle Forum. I just have to ask: Are you? Are you kind of glad to be out of the state political arena and into the federal again? Because it seems like you're more well-suited for federal than state um, at times. I tell you, I, perhaps. I mean, I think what I'm more interested in is at the at Eagle Forum now, we're engaged a lot on issues. And I, I, I mean, I'm not saying it's anything different than other people, but I, I fancy myself someone who li- likes to read. We're talking off the air about Mother Jones magazine. Right. I like to read a lot of things and study things and have and and be creative about issues. And so at the federal level, or at least Eagle Forum, you're arguing about big issues. I've, I, I I haven't talked to Pataki's campaign, but other than Pataki's campaign, I've talked to all the campaigns Republicans about the issues that we care about at Eagle Forum: uh, immigration, American sovereignty, military superiority, and that's really interesting. So. Uh, you know, but on the other hand, I love Missouri. I mean, we and I would I, I think we're it's not unfair or partisan to say we're in a tough moment for Missouri and for the region. And we I think some bold leadership of, of both parties would be great. And I don't see a lot of it. And I hope the Republicans are going to bring some of that. That's the so. so uh, oh, yes. Yeah. Now with. OK, 
for, for your convention in a little over a week, you have at least six presidential candidates coming in. I just have a story on the site right now talking about it. But I'm interested in your take about how receptive they were when you, you called, huh. why you think you've gotten so many. Do you think there may be a few more? Before, before yeah, the event um, shows? Doesn't, doesn't look like it um, right now. But l- let me say back to things you learn on a campaign. I, what I learned on a campaign is if you want people to come for your campaign, you have to ask them over and over, early and creatively, and find ways it's to their advantage. So Eagle Council, which you're referring to as September 11, 12, and 13, that Phyllis Schlafly has been doing that since 1972. In 1972, she rented one of the boats on the Mississippi River invited a hundred of her closest friends. They came in and they, only those people, they came in and they talked to each other. They came up with a plan and they went out to beat ERA. Right. And every year they got together, only the Eagle Forum leaders, and they got a plan and they went out. As one of the one of the leaders said, we come in, we study and talk, and we get our marching orders from right. Phyllis. Right. This year, because of the presidential and because I think I have some skill sets for this, I, we said, we're going to still do that. We have all this training for our people. We're going to have about 500 people there, but 250 are Eagle Forum leaders. We're going to train them. We're going to build it. We're going to talk about our marching orders, the marching orders on stopping Common Core, on the presidential uh, platform, all this stuff. So, But when we, invited the, when we invited the presidentials, the idea was, how do you do that? Right. And what you start out, my experience, is you send them a message saying, would you like to come and speak on Saturday? We're going to have a cattle call. Mm-hmm. And then they inevitably say, well, I don't know. We'll see. And I know this. The, the, the scheduler goes. So you say, well, you get closer and you say, if you come in on Friday, we'll let you come in. And then one of them accepts. So then you put the word out to the others. Carson's coming. And then somebody goes, Carson's coming. And so you, over time, you start to get a trickle effect. And they're all interested. Because so, right now we have Carson, Ted Cruz, Rand Paul, Rick Santorum, Rick Perry, and, and Huckabee. 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 Yeah, so that's that's a so, decent amount of people. Yeah, and Walker wants to say, you know, Walker said yesterday, they, they people said he wants to uh, send a video. In fact, actually, Walker's people, and you're going to play the clip later. I am. From Keller, but Keller called and said, Walker wants to, Governor wants to call Phyllis and catch up. They talked a few months ago, and Walker wants to send a video, and Jeb wants to send a video, and Trump wants to come. Here, here Jason, you like this, too. Whoa. He wants to come and do an event in St. Louis with Phyllis, a, a dinner, a lunch, or something, and then go down to Jefferson County and do something down wow. Jeffco. So Wait, now we're making news here. Now. <laughs> yeah, that's well. I mean, it's not confirmed. Date? No, no, he hasn't confirmed. I tried. To, I tried that next. I said, "You guys want to give us a date?" And he said, "They said not yet." So he's a busy uh, man. You know, he has to do all of his interviews from his headquarters in Trump Tower. Uh, that's but, true. But, but I do want to play a clip from Greg yep. Keller. Well, we, we had him on our show last year, and this was before a lot of the candidates jumped in, and he kind of. Gave his, and this was also before he joined Scott Walker's campaign. Correct. And Greg Keller, just for our listeners, is a Republican consultant. So here's a clip about him kind of giving an early look of what the field looked like. We have something for everyone, whether you are a Republican, a Libertarian, a conservative, a social conservative, whatever. If you like Libertarians, you get Rand Paul. You want a, a, a blue-collar upper Midwesterner, you got Scott Walker. You want a Bushy, we got we potentially have Jeb. You want a South Florida phenom, you got Marco Rubio. You want a SoCo, you got you know either Rick Santorum or Huckabee. You want a turnaround-type governor, you got uh, uh, Rick Perry. So where does Trump fall into this? Well, I you know, I think that the— what. I thought Greg was saying, I remember, didn't remember the quote well enough, is on these issues. If you're if you're into an issue, there's something for everybody. I actually think Carly Farina, by the way, Carly was trying to come to our event and there's a conflict. Again, we were going to try to have her on Sunday and she's she's actually the first one that broke the video thing. She said, send us a video. And my answer, Phyllis weighed in last week 
and said CNN is making a big mistake by not using polls after the first uh, debate because right. Carly deserves a shot. Now, that's so that's Phyllis Schlafly saying Carly deserves a shot. And my argument, people, is say about everything. You look at that 17. Yeah. You got crusty old moderate governors you know, from the East Coast. You've got women that are, whatever you think of their records, Carly Fiorina is a huge success yeah, person. and but, John Hancock, the current Republican Party chairman in Missouri, has said that he's seeing kind of a, a wave going on in Missouri among some people for Fiorino. Yeah, I mean, okay, but I, I mean, I believe it. There's a lot of people that like the idea. The problem is her record is going to get. Now you're starting, yeah, to, see, you're starting to see a, her record. She ran a, it, she ran a, particular she ran a terrible campaign in 2010 for U.S. Senate, I believe, I th- with the demon sheep ad. I mean, yeah, I mean, Al Hunt, Al Hunt, no, no conservative, wrote a column in Bloomberg. I think it was yesterday, yeah. saying Carly under closer review. Look. Everybody Are there particular issues. No, I, don't, I haven't seen it. I, she says she's pro-life. She said I believe her. She's I, she gives a wonderful story, by the way. I think very powerful about her career dominating her life, and then when she finally got married and wanted to have kids, she had a terrible time. And she's very powerful for a lot of women that live have talked about this. So. I think she's cool and she's exciting and we'll see. But the Klieg lights are going to turn on for all these people at the presidential level and see how you survive. So where does Trump fall in? Well, so back to Trump. If you notice, and I've talked to Trump's people, I tried to push them to talk about Common Core. They gave one whack on Common Core against Jeb. You might remember it. They did. (laughs) Yes, they did. But they've been so disciplined. Besides, And this is going to be a little counterintuitive. On the issue, the issue has been immigration and the trade deals with China, the China question, right? And these two things have a populist message. Again, it was, um, it's Vox. See, I'm very open. Vox. Yeah, I listened yeah. to Vo- Vox had two co- two uh, two story columns about breaking down these issues. There's a huge number of voters that are not sitting out there saying, "I want Chris Christie to tell me how he's going to cut Social Security." They're like, "Leave Social Security alone." And why are there too many, you know, jobs with low wages? Right. So. I think Trump's been disciplined. And then I just was saying to mention that Dick Bott was, I was talking to Dick Bott about Radio Network. Americans love the big guy. They love the bravado. Yeah. They've always loved the bravado. So it's not 90% of the people that are saying we love Trump. It's 25 or 30. They're like, but this I, is this But, is but does it hurt the fact that some of his stuff that he's ma- manufactured is made in China. Well, I mean, sure. But I mean, you know, it's like when he says, I'll never take any money. And they say, well, you gave Hillary money. What'd you get? He said, I got her to come and to my you, wedding. And then he says, I, it's a system that's broken. You're like, you use the system all these years. I'm being years. very speculative here, but he's built a lot of casinos. Isn't it fair to say that maybe some illegal immigrants or undocumented workers were building those casinos? Or, 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 I, thought you, there. or I thought you were going to say something else. For a whole segment of evangelical voters still... That's a deal breaker to be a casino maker. Correct. I mean, Correct. Because I remember 25 oh. years ago. And I'm being the, speculative. I'm not saying you did. Evangelicals so. were really upset with the whole um, gambling effort, yeah. oh, legalized I mean, gambling effort in Missouri. But here's my question Mitt Romney in 2008, when his, his campaign pretty much imploded because he switched from being for abortion rights to against abortion rights. You have Trump on camera saying, I am extremely pro-choice. Yeah. And people just are like, whatever, he's a, he's telling it like it is. Doesn't that eventually come back to haunt him that people just don't credibly think he's conservative enough or even a Republican general? Well, I think I think in the long run, if you, if you can't articulate what you believe in in a way that people feel is authentic, you'll pay a price. I think you get a lot of leeway when you're a non, when you're a, I mean, Herman Cain was interesting, but the 999 thing, I mean, at the time, remember, it was like people would say 999 and they're like, you know, 9% tax. Yeah, but Herman Cain imploded. Right. Well, he imploded. At a certain point, they said, Herman Cain, we know what you're 
life is, and we're going to put this, and someone's going to say that's enough. And I, the question is whether they can say to Trump or haven't already. I mean, as I said to someone today, if they try, the rumor is they're going to come out after Labor Day and try to run ads and things to give Trump a hard time. Right. If they do it wrong, the, the fear has to be he yeah. runs third party. And a whole segment, not not 50%, but 25 or 30% of people are going to be like, you know, I'm sick of the party. My, well, my, like the Perot's Perot yeah, effect. Right. My theory is like when Republicans finally get into the ballot box and they have all of these choices that they're going to pick, especially the more conservative, socially conservative, they're going to have other choices besides Trump that they feel are going to be more viable general election candidates, whether it's Scott Walker, Rubio, Cruz. It just seems like they're going to be the people that they actually vote for as yeah, opposed to Trump. Well, but I think uh, evangelicals, especially social conservatives, I think they look – maybe I'm wrong, but I've always felt that they looked less at, okay, who we think might win to who they think is um, – uh, really with them. I think that's one of the reasons Aiken won the primary. I think it's one of the reasons Santorum did so terrific in, in Missouri Iowa. in, in Missouri, yeah. 2012. Because uh, So then it becomes a but again, self-fulfilling prophecy. But both prophecy. of those candidates have more authenticity in the well, social conservative level well, than Trump does. That's and I think that point. that's going to come back to haunt them, especially in Iowa and places I, like Missouri. I would, I would like to transition this sure. point to this and, and point you to the Washington okay. Washington Times, where I have a column that I write. And one and my most. How often do you write it? It's a it's kind of a blog. I'm allowed to do it as often as I want. It's usually okay. once or twice a week. Okay. But the initial one was actually run as a column. It's called Go the Distance. And and as 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 an RNC member for two years, I sat there and I watched the RNC try to manipulate the primary right. rules. And what they thought they were doing was the same thing that has worked repeatedly. Since 1976, the last time there was a truly contested convention was 1976. 1976 yes. Yes. Since then, the process has been make a lot of noise. The candidate with the biggest money that's acceptable to the establishment, those two things, right. will then, by the time you get to about March, will be the nominee and right. the thumb will go on the scale and everyone will fall in line. The problem is if there's seven people or six or five that stay in, it's hard to see how you get yeah. to 50% of the delegates. So this thing drags on. And here's the three Here's the three wild cards that no one, I don't think, is paying but attention couldn't to. couldn't that be fun, though? Could, no, I'm, I'm all for it. I, my, my column says, go the distance no, to Cleveland. No, Chaos I, in Cleveland is what is our best. Here's the thing. I don't believe we'll get a Republican who will dramatically lead and win in the primary process. And that's my belief. Okay. That's my value statement. So I think the best way to do this is to go to Cleveland. We still may not get a good one. We may still go to Cleveland, have chaos, and get someone like Jeb, who I don't think can win. I don't, he's a good governor, but I don't think he can win. Okay, news here. Okay, go ahead. So what well, are the but, three things you mentioned? You meant, so, you're, about to, you're about to list three so things. The, no, the three people yeah. that changed the whole equation. Okay. Ted Cruz with $50 million in his super PAC okay. and, and a commitment to being a perennial presidential candidate. Whether he wins this time, he's running again and again and again. That's my belief. I'm not saying okay, he's told okay. me that, but I think there's reason to believe that he can. He runs for re-election the next off year. He's in. He's a, and he's building a Reagan type brand. Remember, Reagan ran three times. Yes, yeah. he did. So, and now number two, Ben Carson mm -hmm. has money and does not need to define himself going forward in relation to a job, an office, or anything else. So he can go all the way. Now he's got money, and he's got a, a donors, and now he's got momentum. Yeah. And by the way, his super PAC is run by a Missourian, and they don't have any big money yet, but if they have any big money, it's another thing. And the final one is Trump. If Trump decides, I'm fine with getting 25%, and I'm going to stay in, those three can go all the way, 
And now you have to have one or two establishment candidates who will get the other delegates. And we're at Cleveland fighting over the future of the Republican Party. Well, that sounds like fun, but I want to play another clip from (laughs) your best friend, Claire McCaskill, U.S. Senator. (laughs) She was asked by my colleague Maria Altman about Trump yesterday at the Danforth Science Center, named after uh, John Danforth's brother, Mm -hmm. as as you probably know. Here's what she had to say about Trump mania. Well, it reminds me a little bit of a demolition derby. You know, I mean, you, the people who go, they, they kind of are embarrassed about it, but they can't look away. And there is a certain thing in America that we like, the bright, shiny object that is saying things that are, I think, weird to a lot of Americans. What do you have to say about well, that? Well, I mean, it's clear, if, the, if it were Trump, I'd she's talking about herself. I mean, there's <laughs> no, almost no one who's more comical to, for me to watch when you know her record and how she's carried herself than the where Claire McCaskill. I just, what astounds me is that the Clintons accept it because I thought there was at least a sort of blood oath against each other, but they seem to have buried that. Oh, she, yeah, yeah, Hillary said very nice things oh, about she her. Has one, she Saturday has night. won, like, what, two, four statewide races? Yeah. Almost, she was... She came very close to, to beating Matt Blunt, who was a very tough competitor in 2004 loss. But, you know, she's a pretty solid electoral record. No, I'm talking Missouri. about how she handles herself. I mean, she's right. saying that Trump is, is, a, is a spectacle to look at. Claire uh, loves being a spectacle to be at the center. It may not be, as in her mind, as dramatic as as uh, Trump, but, on, you know, her book, her book now describing how she had this great insight and, and took down Aiken. I mean, it, she loves this attention. That's fine. Most politicians do. But it's kind of uh, laughable to... But when, but when Trump says, for example, when, she, when he says the things about Megyn Kelly or when he calls Anthony Weiner a perv, I mean, isn't it kind of saying provocative things to get attention? Yeah, look, but that's right now the moment we're in in, in politics is there's yeah. a lot of there's, a, you know, Bernie Sanders. I don't know if he says anything like that. But there, this is a, there's a populist edge to this that some people it's like when Newt remember Newt went way up and when he got mad because they asked about his marriages, remember, in, the, in yes. the debate. And he said, this is what's wrong with America. And everyone went, finally, somebody's saying that. I, I don't defend or know all the kinds of things that Trump could have said. But the anti-political correct right. stuff feels good to a lot of people. And I, I think that's what you're seeing there. But when I was talking to Ann Wagner, the congresswoman, just a few days ago, she was saying that, granted, she admitted she's a Jeb Bush person, but she thought that Trump was going over the top and alienating especially women and and um, some other veterans. And she believed that some of that talk was going to come back and bite him at some point. I, it may, but that's or why we have GOP. a that's why we have that's a lengthy true. process, and 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 if we have a process where he's not the nominee, the nominee is going to have to be a big uh, leader, man or woman, who says this is who we are going forward. And I tell people it's not this is not about who's the best person or best speaker. It's head to head. Whoever the yes. pre- if the Democrats put up Hillary, anyone can win, in my opinion, except. Jeb, but anyone can win. I'm not talking about electability because it's about you want to be in the past with this stuff or do you want to go forward? I, I got now, it. Oh, yeah, but why? Why? Because why I, are you down on Jeb? Just, just no, so I'm talking about electability. Here. I mean, okay, first of all, well, his, I will about. say this that I think Jeb Bush has not properly uh, explained Common Core, his support of Common Core. He's doubled down on it. I think he's been a little bit better on immigration. And now he's talking about birthright citizenship. He wants that changed. And, but in general, he's for amnesty, which I think is destructive for the country. So those are two issues. But I'm just talking about electability. I've been on the ballot twice in the last couple of years. If we put another Bush on the ballot, I th- and it's versus Clinton, the argument will be it's about the past. Elections are always, you have to make a framework for the public to look up and say, in the last six weeks, 
I like that. By the time McCain and Obama were sitting in the White House as the economy tanked, people looked up and said, I think that guy Obama's cool and calm and the other guy doesn't quite fit well, it. So. I got to ask this question because you were someone who was ensnared in email retention related controversy. <laughs> and now you see Hillary Clinton kind of ensnared in one and you see like Democrats, especially Hillary backers, trying to say, oh, this isn't a big deal. It's a waste <laughs> of money. When, you know, in 2007, 2008, Democrats in Missouri were making it the biggest deal of ever. I'm not putting a value judgment on whether people are right or wrong on it, but I'm just interested in your perspective on well, that, given it, that it was yeah, part of your political legacy yeah, as well. Yeah, as, um, as the, uh, at the time, we knew that most of the governors and most elected officials were struggling with how do you do this? Right. You said mentioned that I think Dave Drebus has a has a BlackBerry. You know, BlackBerry back in the day had pins. You could communicate between. The, and so that was not on anybody's server, supposedly. Right. I mean, so we all knew and we were in the middle of that. So how do you retain things? How do you handle it all? And, you know, Palin went through it as governor. You look at the list. Almost all the governor's office had no idea how to handle the question. So I actually have some sympathy for what Clinton was trying to do in the sense that she knew. But the, the her problem for her is the classified nature. To me, the classified stuff is where you Although run into a different. The, yeah, but wasn't most of well, that classified after she sent it? I have no idea. But if you're secretary of state, it's hard to. It's hard to think that you can get things sent to you that on another server. But anyway, I think the point is that it's still it's still. And the other thing is, how do you? This is an interesting question historically. Um, how do you retain? We have I have I work for Phyllis Schlafly, and Phyllis is ninety one. She's been active in politics since nineteen forty six. Correct. She was one of the first employees at AEI, and then she came back and ran a campaign in Missouri. She was a campaign manager in nineteen forty six, and she has the speech notes and all these things from nineteen forty six to today. It's an extraordinary archive. I'm bragging about that. But now the question is, how do you have an archive of people's email exchanges, right? In other words, we have email exchanges that go on of Phyllis Schlafly's in the last 10 years of her, of her thoughts and questions on topics with major leaders. Well, it used to be letters. I mean, she has letters from back and forth between her and Reagan in the 70s. Well, there's not that in the same way. And that's another whole question historians going to struggle with. But Absolutely. I, I, I think it's um, politics is politics. They're always going to find an issue to fight about. And I think, you know, it's I think Clinton's going to get putting a spot over the cover-up or what they've done since, and yeah. we'll see. We'll have to see. I'd love to see how, if that issue has legs. Now, as, okay, a, a major conservative, who, I mean, just looking at the Democratic field, who are you most concerned about? I mean, as far as getting the nomination and then you're running against well, it, who do you? Yeah. Well, well, I mean, there's really, what, there, there's two four. viable, there's four Shh. candidates. Well, but, but, but no, but, 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 no but there's, I'd make an observation first is most people don't, you all do, and many of your listeners do, don't understand that the Electoral College map it starts stacked against Republicans yes. significantly. Right. right? So we're, whatever the numbers, I might be getting wrong, it's 242, I think, is in the bag for the Democrats. It's hard to see them changing that. Now, you, mean, I, you mean the Republicans aren't going to win Illinois next yeah, year? Yeah, exactly. And they I, used to. Well, and I think that, again, I think if you ended up with a populist message that had something to do with so, something, you know, when, when Trump used the word tariffs, okay. that's the first time a Republican of any level had said the word tariffs in years and years. Since right? William McKinley? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Well, don't, you're not allowed to say McKinley's name. You have to say Denali. It's William Denali now. But anyway, so the point is we start stacked against us. And and to me, populist sort of 
uh, leaders like O'Malley. Now, I know he's not setting any traction, but a young guy who says I'm for he gets he sweeps up all the de- Democrat voters in all the big cities and everywhere. And then he goes into Ohio and he says, I'm on your side. I'm a union guy yeah. like you. Now, he's not going anywhere. So I think Hillary's the best bet for us to win because I don't think Bill can save her in terms of that. You know, what about Biden? I think Biden is, is, you know, Uncle Joe from uh, Scranton, uh, Pennsylvania. He, he 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 does have the lunch bucket you mean appeal from, from Petticoat Junction. Yeah, no, 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 Scranton. He's from Scranton, and, and he's everybody looks up and knows an Uncle Joe. You know, he's got great character. I he's never sustained himself as the top of the ticket, so I don't no. think he can pull that off. What, uh, now, what about Bernie Sanders? Yeah, the Bernie Sanders phenomenon is interesting because is it kind of a like a because, dean thing you that know, fizzles out? I the thing that I, I I find kind of funny is Bernie Sanders is not even really a Democrat. He's an independent who has never been a part of the Democratic Party, yet he seems to be taking along with him a pretty sizable segment of that that party's coalition with him. Yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm sure I'm not the first one to say it. But when you see the populist edge on the left that he and Warren are able to attract and then you see on the right, you see some of the frustration in, in Trump and all there. There's it's not the parallel in the issues, but there's a frustration amongst. I mean, I just don't think Sanders is realistic. I mean, again, you, to run for president, you have to compete in all the states, right. in all the ways that are necessary. It's not you don't do it. It's one of the reasons why out of the 17 Republicans, there's a number of them that I would give them no chance because they don't understand that they're if they won Iowa tomorrow, they wouldn't be able to put together yeah. a team well, to run. Well, it will be interesting to watch because right now he, he's kind of mired in, I would say, non-competitive status, but especially if Sanders' mania kind of fizzles, he's probably the next best rival for Clinton. So we'll have to kind of see how that well, turns out. Well, or do you think Elizabeth Warren might get No, it? no, I think, but I think Biden runs. I think Biden runs. I think Biden runs and it lasts only a little while and he's out. But I think that makes it so Hillary says, look, I can beat the guys that we all like and all that, you know, and we're going to move on. So I think it's fine. I mean, again, if Hillary, I wouldn't bet against Hillary in the sense that, again, the Electoral College. I mean, there's a real problem for our side. But I think she's our best candidate because I think we can say she's about the past. This is a vision for the future. But if we don't do that, the vision for the future, it won't matter. So we only have a few minutes okay, left. Okay, immigration. Uh-huh. I mean, I know because that's one of Phyllis's top issues. Sure. What do you see? I mean, is there anything particular that Eagle Forum is for besides getting the people to go back? No, no. We're, we're, no and how would you do well, that? Well, I, I would say we, um, we're we actually for um stopping illegal and legal immigration okay. that legal immigration is as is abused we've seen now some of the reports on on how some of the visas the h1b1 visas right. have been sort of and so we we think there's in american history significant moments there's been pauses in immigration for so reasons you want no immigration well we period. think we think that yeah we think that a pause in immigration that's one of the things you'll hear phyllis say is when people say we have to go somewhere because there's people won't do the jobs things we have the best and the brightest in america we do we have plenty of kids young men and women that are graduating with science and technology degrees that could do the job what silicon valley likes they admit this is cheap labor from India. $75,000 a year is cheaper than 150000 And so we, when I say pause, there's two reasons. One reason is because we think it would be important to let the workforce settle. And the second one is we have had in America in the 20s and 30s after that a time for people to assimilate. It is not an acceptable model for living together to have people come and have their own communities forever. You can speak Italian on the hill. I We love going to the hill too. But ultimately, the Italian-Americans wanted to assimilate. And some of the immigrant communities, not only the Hispanics, but others, are not assimilating yet. So a pause would let 
them assimilate, and and that's I think I, that's I have important. to ask this question, and admittingly, I have a personal bias here because my great grandparents came from Poland in the twenties and thirties. But that sort of message, even to people who are like second and third generations who have the link to the immigrant past of no immigration or limited immigration, aren't they going to be kind of repelled by that because they no. still hold on to some of that? No, because no, because no, because they no, because they recognize no one's saying no immigration. We're saying we've had plenty, and now is a good time to pause. Just like when the when your grandparents came, that that was as you you say that was a, a great thing that they came. Because there was a pause of, between they, roughly was a major more pause. or less between the 30s and the 50s. Yeah, major. But they they went to Ponca City, Oklahoma, actually, and they opened up a a clothing store for all the oil barons there. Because Ponca City is actually the home base of Conoco Oil, so. You know, I think that they went from living in Grudno, Poland, which is now part of Belarus, to being Oklahomians. So I can, I could again, that. and I, and I'm, I'm, you know, there may be personal stories, and you, you may be right, but I think the data shows right. that people, when you talk about, you can either raise wages by forcing, uh, you know, minimum wage is up, or you can raise wages by, by decreasing the labor pool. And one of the things you could do is decrease the labor pool. Now, Jason, you may not want to clean rooms downtown for $12 an hour. But if it was $24 an hour, not now, but a few years ago when you were just a journalist or whatever. Anyway, you could, you know, you could. Uh, isn't that what Eli Yokely's off doing? Well, isn't, did you know, did you know that when, during my yeah. freshman to sophomore year, I cut boxes and cleaned shelves at a restaurant supply depot for $6 an hour in Chicago? For did one you, summer? Just one summer? Yeah. Look, you, I, I work in a dairy market. That, did you know that I cut this finger both here and here, and I still don't have feeling on that because I did something like that? You should get a, you should well, get a hey, lawyer. I, lawyer up. You should I lawyer up. I worked in a Dairy have. Queen in the 70s when I was in high school, and back then we were paid 75 cents an hour. Yeah. This is wow. before so the fast food I just want to point that out, not to, not, not, to be, not to be curt, just as a humorous aside that I have taken the jobs that nobody else wanted to do. Well, yeah, that's what I guess. Although working in, <laughs> working in a, that's not a bad job, is it? Working in a... No, it was, it was, it was not the worst job I've ever had. That's all so back say. to you. <laughs> back to you. Back to you, Ed. What, uh, favorite topic. I mean, is there any thoughts of getting back into politics? I mean, will as you a, ever run for anything yes. again? I'm. I cannot imagine in my future right now running for office. I what I have this job, this opportunity that I have that sort of landed, you know, to where I'm. It's extraordinary. Again, Phyllis is really great. We have chapters across the country. We have a DC office. So it, the challenge to be able to do this is something I'm really immersed in. I'm trying to do more writing and do more kind of uh, policy communicating and things. So I can't imagine that. I mean, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say never say never. I think if you care about uh, what's happening, I incur, I've always said to people you ought to consider it. But I we have four little kids. We have a you know a puppy, and we got enough going on. You have a minivan this. now. We have. Oh, I love the minivan. Yeah, I'm a total. I, I got a I got a crossover SUV with with for my son, so I think I'm on that point. But you get, when you get to four kids, you can then you, we'll, you get the we'll, minivan. They store slide we'll, open. They we'll dump have in. to see. This was a rip roaring time. We'll have to have you back probably closer to the presidential yes. contest. Thank you very much as always. You can find all of our stories at stlpublicradio.org. You can follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. You can follow Joe on Twitter at Jay Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. And you can follow uh, Ed Martin on Twitter at Ed Martin 4Mo. I've never given up the 4Mo. Ed Martin 4Mo. We'll be back next time. Until then, so long. Oh.